Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors Blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is entitled The Necessity of the Holy Spirit. It's continuing our study in the book of Acts. Have you ever found yourself trying to run ahead of God and force things to happen that you want to happen? I think we all know what that's like. Sometimes we can even be doing this in the name of God. For example, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter reacted by drawing his sword and seeking to fight. In John 18 verses 10 and 11 we read, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We see it's possible for believers' actions to contradict our Lord's plan. Jesus commissioned his apostles with this duty. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples knew what God's purpose was for them. They'd been given a job to do. But Jesus also gave them this instruction. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, we read, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the same instruction we find here in Acts chapter 1, when we read verses 4 and 5. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus had told the disciples that without him, they could do nothing. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He also told them this is what the Holy Spirit would do for them. In John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, we read, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We see then that the Holy Spirit is necessary for all Christian ministry. Without him dwelling in us, teaching us, empowering us, and testifying with us, our words and actions are empty and misguided. But is it easy to wait when you see something that should be done? No, it's not, especially for those of us who are doers. I think we are familiar with this passage in James chapter 1, which tells us in, in verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Do you know there is a way in which the opposite mistake can be made? We can be doers who fail to listen carefully to God's instruction. My oldest son is a doer. I think he gets that from myself and his mother. We all like tasks. But when he, many times, when I'm instructing him to do something, he fails to listen to what I'm saying in his hurry to begin working. 
Sometimes I even have to take him by the hand and look into his face before he realizes he doesn't actually understand what I want him to do. When we begin work without God's Spirit, we are doers who have failed to listen. And the work will fail because it isn't done by the Holy Spirit's power, but rather our own power. There's an interesting example of this given later in Acts 1 that illustrates the challenge of waiting when you know what should happen. Once again, we see God's man Peter at the forefront of this. In Acts chapter 1 from verse 15 to verse 26, we read this. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be one, no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, some people debate about whether the disciples sinned by casting lots to choose someone to replace Judas Iscariot. I think that's a foolish conversation. There's nothing scripture says that condemns what the disciples did here. Rather, it's just an interesting point to consider as we think about the command for us to wait. Peter accurately understood from Old Testament prophecy that another man would take Judas Iscariot's place as a witness to Jesus' resurrection. So Peter, the man of action, took action to try to, to, to try to fulfill this. But none of the other apostles were chosen by men. It was Jesus who had called each one of them, even Judas Iscariot. The disciples used the system of casting lots to determine the Lord's will in the matter. This was the system God had given the priests in the law to find God's will. Interestingly, this is the last example of lots being practiced. What changed after this? The Holy Spirit came, and through his presence dwelling in our hearts, and his instruction of Jesus' word, believers didn't need to cast lots to determine God's will. They understood it without those things. What's more interesting to consider next in this story is that later in the book of Acts, Jesus did choose another apostle. He chose to take his greatest enemy, a man named Saul, and make him his chosen apostle to the Gentiles. Some ask, 
Does this mean that Matthias wasn't really approved by God to serve as an apostle? And some add to that, that Jesus said in one place that the apostles would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, yet Matthias would make the number of apostles, of apostles into 13. Well, there's nothing in scripture that condemns Matthias being appointed to serve with the other 11. And interestingly, the tribe of Joseph, if you remember, is divided into two between his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So technically, there are 13 tribes of Israel. My point is not to labor over those details, but to note what God says about waiting for his power to do ministry, even when we see an immediate need around us. The life of Moses gives us a good illustration about this. When he was in his prime, he saw the affliction of his brethren and sought to help their plight. In Acts 7, from verse 24 to verse 30, we read this. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire, in a bush. Though Moses was right about the need of his people, we see it wasn't yet God's time for him to work, nor was he yet the man God wanted him to be to send to do his work. We see by his actions that when he was young, which is very typical of all of us when we are young, that Moses went to fight in his own strength. Could his own strength provide salvation? No, he ended up having to run away into the wilderness. It was there as an old man with no confidence in himself that God appeared to him and told him he was chosen to redeem God's people from bondage. I tell you, friends, one of the most difficult lessons we must learn as believers is to wait on God's timing and God's power to do what we are longing for. And what does waiting often produce in us? Fear and doubt, right? I'm reminded of when Saul broke God's law by making a sacrifice when Samuel delayed beyond the appointed time they had agreed to meet one another. Saul's anxiety and waiting caused him to sin. I think you and I can probably point to times where we sinned because we became tired of waiting on God. I've known married people who grew tired of waiting for a godly spouse, so they married a person the Bible warned them not to. Years later, they come to me in misery, wishing, wishing they hadn't disobeyed God. Indeed, it's hard to wait. So let's confront ourselves with what God says waiting should produce in our hearts and lives. In Psalm 27, verse 14, we read this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. All through the Psalms, we are exhorted to wait upon God. But I like the thought of this verse brings. It describes waiting as an opportunity for strength, 
courage and faith to grow. That's the opposite reaction I described earlier that waiting often has in our lives. Waiting should make us grow more confident, not make us doubt the more. Is there an example given to us of this reality in scripture? Yes, and it makes sense that it should come from Abraham, who is called the man of faith and the father of all those who believe. The Bible describes his faith as he waited like this. In Romans chapter 4, from 19, verse 19 to verse 21, we read this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The longer Abraham waited, the more he believed God would do as he had promised. What about you and I, friends? I confess many times I have been impatient waiting for God to act. I've seen what needs to be done now, and I've run ahead without praying and seeking God's guidance and power. Those who make such decisions and take such actions always wind up suffering for them. Wait on the Lord. Renew your strength. Walk in his power. God bless you all.